I know we just prayed. Can we pray one more time? But this time I want us to ask for something specific. I want us to ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Here's why. As I was preparing for today, I uh, simply just was like, I, like, if you don't show up, this doesn't work today. Uh, some days, for whatever reason, I think I can like manufacture something. Uh, but it's true every day. Uh, if he doesn't show up, this doesn't work. But truly, our application for today is like to simply continue to believe. Well, what is it that's in the way of our belief? And I don't know that for you. Um, and so I want us to ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit as we begin, um, what is in the way? What do I rely on instead of you? So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to, to reveal that to us. Maybe it's not immediate. Maybe it's as we go. Let's ask the Lord. Father and Holy Spirit, uh, by the power of the blood of your son Jesus, uh, we ask you and we plead with you to reveal to us, uh, illumine in our hearts what it is that we, we rely on. Uh, the word just said that if we rely on a law, we are under a curse. And perhaps we Gentiles don't rely on a law or the law. We do rely on some law. And so I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us what it is that we're... Um, uh, what it is that we're relying on. What are we relying on instead of the grace of God in order to feel good about ourselves, in order to feel good about who we are in you, in order to feel good about the week, the week that we just had or the week we're headed into? What is it? What circumstantial thing are we falsely believing? This is gonna be the thing that if I have this, if I attain for this, if I accomplish this, if I rely on this, if this goes well, my life will turn out. Holy Spirit, help us. We need you to reveal these things to us as we continue uh, through our gathering and through uh, the preaching of God's word. Would you reveal that to us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we are continuing on the book of Galatians. We are in chapter three. Uh, we'll be here this week. We were here last week. We'll be here next week. And if you're starting to think to yourself, man, this is getting really repetitive in Galatians, you're right. Paul is hammering home the same point because we are so prone to forget it again and again that justification truly is by grace alone through faith alone. It is foolishness, going back to last week, it is foolishness. We are uh, hoodwinked, uh, we are under a spell if we think that we can continue on in the faith by our efforts. He says in verse three, excuse me, verse one of chapter three, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Have you now, having begun with the spirit, are you now trying to continue on with the works of the law, continue on with works of the flesh? If so, we are foolish. We're under a spell, and today Paul is gonna up the ante because he does that. He's gonna say, not only are you under a spell, but you're under a curse. So we went from like sleeping beauty uh, to now being maleficent in so many different ways. Last week we talked about sleeping beauty. If you weren't here, you can go back to that for just a moment. Uh, but that's kind of where we're at. So now we're under this curse if we do the things that Paul says that we naturally do in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. Um, I think it's really easy for us to desire blessing from authority figures. I think that's something that's in us. Um, when we're little kids, when we fall out of favor with our parents, we do whatever we need to do to try to get back into favor with our parents. Uh, and so we have this innate desire to be blessed by those that are in authority over us, whether it be a teacher or a boss um, or our parents or other authorities. Yesterday, I was trying to find... Um, 
my oldest daughter's tennis tournament. I got lost, turned around, found myself, then pulled over. And my um, nine-year-old was in my front seat. And we've had this little chat when she sits in the front seat because she only does that with short drives because you're not supposed to do that. Yes, I'm confessing before you. Um, and so anyway, so she's in the front seat and I, there's a sheriff that pulled right behind me and she saw it before I did. And she goes, Daddy, are you going to jail? <laughs> and I said, only if you rat me out. Um, and so we, we indeed got pulled over and um, the sheriff came up. They, on both, they flanked us, both sides of the vehicle, because we, we, we are a threat, people. Uh, and so they flanked us on both sides, and the sheriff looked at um, my nine-year-old, and she goes, hey, sweetheart, how are you? And she goes, I'm great. She goes, so the reason why we pulled you over is because you don't have a front license plate. And I was like, oh, that little thing? Okay, all right, no problem. So we get done. They wrote us a warning, graciously. Um, I wasn't going to complain to them about the fact that Toyota didn't make my car with a front license plate holder. Uh, but nonetheless, they let me go with a warning, and I got off. But here's the deal. In that moment, there's this innate desire in my daughter and in me to want to be blessed by authority. And if you fall out of favor, what do you got to do? You got to go pay your debt in jail, Daddy, because you, you broke the law. It wasn't me. And so we've had this conversation. She was wearing a hoodie and she covered her whole face this week. And um, she's like, if you get pulled over, they're gonna think that you kidnapped me. I said, only if you say, I don't know this man. <laughs> and I think that whole thing was rolling in her mind as we got pulled over yesterday because she was terrified, but I was not. I'd been pulled over before, although not since I've been married, which is a long time, y'all. <laughs> yes, I know. If you drove around with me, you'd go, that can't be true. That's... <laughs> But there is this innate desire in us, and I think perhaps for Ellie yesterday, it was, oh my gosh, we've lost blessing of dad being free. How are we gonna get him out? We gotta have to pay off the debt. For me, I knew I wasn't gonna lose blessing. I might have an inconvenient ticket, but that was it. There was a difference in understanding of what happens when we fall out of favor with things, and I think those differences can pull us into a curse or being blessed. And I think that's where Paul is gonna lead us today. If we're not careful, we will fall into this system that our world is made up of. To be blessed, you have to do X, Y, or Z. That's what happens at work. That's what happens on the road. That's what happens with our parents. But Paul is going to tell us God does not operate on such fundamental practices. He does not operate underneath this blessing and cursing that if you do this, he will bless you. Instead, giveaway, spoiler alert to the end of this, he has blessed you, now how will you live? And those two things are radically different. For Paul, he is telling us that earning blessing by relying upon any law or moral code is a curse. Is a curse. Do we believe that about living in reliance upon a law or a moral code that it's a curse? Paul is saying there is a better way for us. And to see that better way, Paul is going to help us understand the reality of our natural past. So last week, we talked about this payment system that we don't want. We, we want it because we think we're okay, that if we earn a few things with God, that he's going to give us what we deserve. But if he gives us what we deserve, surely none of us would stand before a holy God, righteous and blameless. And so he gives us what we do not deserve, and that is his righteousness, it is this system that we're in that flies in the face of the way that God works by his nature. And I want you to see this. That system is what every other religion is founded upon. Your neighbors, 
if they are not Christians, they are under this curse. You, if you come to, to church or give your money to church or whatever it is that you do and you think that you are gaining blessing, friends, we also are under the same curse. So let us stand disoriented by Christ, but let us stand though then oriented in Christ under a new system of grace and of kingdom and of provision beyond what we can earn in and of ourselves. So let's build on last week. And as we do so, Paul is going to say this. He's going to remind us of of Abraham in verse 9. That's where we ended last week. And so let me read verse 9, and then we'll get into 10 through 14 as our preaching text for the day. So then, verse 9, those who are of faith, that's hopefully all of us, are blessed. We already are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, the man who believed. The man who lived as a constant reminder to us of belief, believing in God's word. And so that's, that's kind of who we're identifying with as we identify with Christ. And so verse 10 continues, right? What is this curse? For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. If you and I rely on the law of Moses, then we are under a curse. So we stand before God and he says, hey, why should I let you in? You say, because I did my best to obey the 10 commandments, cursed damned. The way of death is what that word is. That's a, that's, a, that's a rough reality that if we're not careful in American Christianity, we could find ourselves headed down that path. And Paul is enlightening all of us to say, no, no, don't give way to one little bit of the law because when you do, you're accountable to all of it. We might want to get circumcised because it's easier. You mean you don't have to give? I don't have to continually do X, Y, or Z. It's just a one-time thing. Yep, that's it. And so then you're good with Jesus, as we talked about last week. Instead, he's saying, no, no, that way is the way of cursing. And you might think to yourself, man, like, that's rough. That's brutal. Matter of fact, I mentioned it to one of my friends at Starbucks this morning. I go, you know, we're going to talk about blessing and cursings this morning, that Paul calls you cursed if you live a good moral life. And he was like, wow, can you not say that to me, basically? And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's what it's about. If we rely on the law, we are under this curse. That if we over-rely on a law, the the law of Moses, the law of morality, if we rely on that to find our righteousness, our goodness, our quote-unquote morality, we're in trouble. Now, when I read this, I think, man, wait a minute, Paul. Like, these are my... These aren't bad people. These aren't people that are, that are like morally difficult people. These aren't people that are headed for jail. They're not prisoners. They're not murderers. They're not denying the Bible. Instead, they're looking at the Bible, the, the, Mosaic, the Mosaic law, and they're thinking, man, I want to I obey. I want to honor God. I mean, you and I would really like these people. These people are like our really good neighbors next door. Like they're never partying past nine o'clock. They like to party, but not past nine. And so, like, you know, they'll, they'll leave you alone. They're dogs. They don't bark. Like, they, they care enough about their dogs to not leave them outside barking. Those are really good neighbors. If you don't have that neighbor, you realize how good of a neighbor that is. Uh, they're not denying the Bible. You really like these people. They're nice. They live in a good, morally life. Their kids are polite. They'll say, yes, ma'am, and no, sir. 
Their marriage looks good. Their jobs are respectable. They're profitable. Matter of fact, they're entrepreneurs and like they got side hustles and they own Instagram or Pinterest or whatever it is that you own, whatever you like, I don't know. These people are good people and Paul calls them cursed. What? Those are not the people that I thought he would call cursed. Why does he do this? Follow me here if you can. When Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, he quoted from an Old Testament text. He quoted from what's known as the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. And I want you to hear very specifically what he says in Mark 12. When a scribe comes to him and he challenges Jesus, I want you to hear what he is saying when he basically is like, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus responds with a very specific understanding of the law. He quotes it. Mark 12, 28 through 34. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, the scribe asked Jesus, which command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is Shema, O Israel. Hear, listen, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. Now I want you to see something. He's very specific in quoting this. Not some of your heart and all of your soul, not, some, not all of your might and some of your heart, but all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and all of your strength at all times and with all consistency. Does that sound like good news? Is that the way that you're going to be able to earn blessing with God? Because none of us do it wholly. None of us do it all the way. Let's keep reading. What does he say in verse 31? The second is this, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you nailed it, Jesus. As if Jesus needed this, right? You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one, one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And look at what Jesus says to him next. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It's an interesting passage for me particularly when we start talking about blessing and cursing regarding from the Old Testament, especially out of Deuteronomy, where this was quoted. Jesus affirms this scribe's proximity to the kingdom, but he also says this very important thing. You're not in it. You're very close. You're not far, but you're not in. You can obey all the greatest command all you want, but it will never measure up to all, the wholeness. Only one person did that fully and completely, and it is Jesus. And so he invites him, and he, he, he invites him to understand, and at the same time, what he understands about the law, and what Jesus is instructing him about the law, is that it's powerless to bring salvation. It can bring a really good moral person you want the guy next to you living, loving God and loving neighbor. But it's actually insufficient to bring us into the kingdom. There's a Puritan pastor named Richard Sibbs, which I learned his name this week. Unbelievable uh, writer. But he says this about the law. Um, 
For the law requires personal, look at this, personal, perpetual, and perfect obedience from the heart, not outward, from the heart, and that under a most terrible curse, but gives no strength. It is a severe taskmaster, this law, like Pharaoh's taskmasters, requiring the whole tale of bricks and yet giving no straw. That's what a good moral code will do. A good mosaic law will do is that it will require of us things that we cannot do in our own power. And so this danger for us is that we we over-rely on a good thing like the law or we over-rely on morality. And so what we can end up doing, um, if we can fall back into these Galatian believing people, they would say like, if you just get circumcised, right? And so they're, they're saying this ultimately in our language. If you would just look at how I love the orphan, you know what? You should love the orphan. If you don't love the orphan, you don't really love Jesus. And is that really the kind of language that we need to live under? That if you do this one specific part of the law, then you don't really love Jesus. Or if you're not one that loves the orphan really well, maybe you attend church really well. Usually it comes like one or the other. You're really good at learning or you're really good at doing. But very few are really good at both. And so maybe you're just really good at learning. You come on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. You go, man, like, I know that like, you love the orphan, but you should really be a part of the Sunday gathering. And this is really where you find your righteousness. And so it's one or the other, right? We can start to lean on something that we're doing, whether it's learning and gathering or something that we're doing, whether it's really good, like loving the orphan. Don't hear me saying loving the orphan's bad. You know that ain't my heart. Instead, it's really good but it's insufficient to bring us into the kingdom. So this is the curse, right? This is where we're at, that, that if, we, if we stand on this reality of I'm a moral person and so God is pleased with me, we live under a curse. And so Jesus is reminding us in this passage in Mark 12, now kind of relaying it into Galatians 3, that not far, being not far from the kingdom is a really dangerous place because it does give us this false assurance. It's the false assurance of the third soil being of, of choking out uh, through thorns and cares of the world. It's the false assurance of Martha. I mean, that was one of the beautiful things about uh, today is that Josue led the devotional that we had this morning on Mary and Martha. It's the false assurance of Martha. Mar- Jesus, you need to rebuke Mary for sitting at your feet. I mean, after all, I'm doing all these things. After all, I'm really good at X, Y, and Z. And Jesus rebukes Martha and says, oh, come and sit. Mary has chosen the better portion, Right? He warns, Jesus warns us again and again about finding our righteousness in the wrong thing. A really good thing, but the wrong thing. When he sends out the 72 in Luke 10, they go out and they share the gospel and they're brand new believers, y'all. Like brand new believers got brought into the kingdom in Luke 6 and now in Luke 10, he's sending them out to go be missionaries to their towns and they come back and they start to report of the, the unbelievable things that are happening and what happens when they get back? Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. This is amazing. And Jesus looks at them and he, he warns them of the false assurance of their own abilities. And he says this in Luke 10. And he says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It does not matter what we can accomplish 
Instead, it matters what is accomplished on our behalf. Don't find your identity in doing things for God, even really good things like casting out demons. Instead, find your identity in writing, in, in God writing your name in heaven. The danger here is that we live good lives without the goodness of God or that we try to establish a kingdom without the king. And there is a danger in that. Relying on the law is a most dangerous curse. And you may think to yourself, well, how is that? That's why we stopped at the beginning of this. Be like, how do I rely on a law? What is it that I rely on instead of Christ to find righteousness, to find goodness? Well, it's a curse for a couple of different reasons. Number one, like how much is enough? How much payment is enough to atone for your sin? And so when you lay your head down at night and you get beyond your most immediate problems with, and you've solved them with your most creative solutions and you begin to think through your standing with God, how do you know you've done enough to erase all the bad that you and I have done? How do you know? Jesus knows that if we are going to rely on the Mosaic law or a moral law, finding joy, finding our identity in the results of life will be riddled with this one main question, how much is enough to atone for what I've done this week? See, this is the system that the whole world is in except for Christians. Christians, you're not in this world. You're not in this system of atonement. It has been given to you in Christ. So that's the first reason and the first kind of how is this a curse. The second how is this a curse um, and it's a dangerous place is this. Like as long as you are rejoicing in the wrong thing, finding security in our performance in the external law, we will, we will not only have a great insecurity with God, which is the first part, but we'll also have great insecurity with others. We will not and cannot love others as ourselves if we do not know how much God has loved us or how to love ourselves. Instead, our insecurity about our own worth and our own goodness will breed hypersensitivity. A hypersensitivity to, to criticism. We will be overly fearful towards risk. We will be risk averse. And we will be rooted in envy because we will look at other people's giftedness. We will look at other people's performance and we'll go, man, they got it right. I wish I could be like that. So if you don't know, this is immersed into our culture. Some studies are now showing um, that for those of us that are on social media, which if just raise your hand if you're on social media. Basically every adult in here, like with me, maybe like the exception of two. Okay, this is what the new studies are saying, that if you um, are, are, are depressed or anxious, you can cut your, your anxiety levels and depression levels by 40% if you get off social media. Just that one thing. Well, why is that? Because we are riddled with envy, with covetousness, with discontentment when we start to see what other people are doing and we start to get insecure with other people. It then flows upward. We're insecure with Jesus and that's where it all flows from. We're insecure with where we are with God because we have been under this curse that somehow he'll like me more if I do whatever it is that hopefully the Spirit has revealed to you at this point. Somehow he'll love you more if you do this. So I would just say this, like self-care 
is all the rage. I love self-care. You should, you should love yourself. That's good. Like love your neighbor as yourself. You should know how to love yourself. That's a good biblical thought. The best thing that you and I can do for self-care or knowing how to love ourselves is to continue to be rooted, as he said to the 72, be, like find your joy, not in the things that you can accomplish, but find your joy instead that the God of all creation has written your name in the book of life. And if you fast forward to the end of all things in Revelation, that's where he will judge us. If our names are written in the book of life, we will pass into the new heavens and the new earth. And if they're not, we will be judged according to what we do. We don't want to be judged according to what we do. We want to be judged according to whether or not God has written our name in the book of life. So let us find our joy not in the riches that you and I could accumulate, nor in the accomplish, accomplishments that you can perform, but instead let us rejoice in the riches that we already have in Christ and what Christ has already accomplished and, and performed on our behalf. And so what is it that God did for us? We continue to read in Galatians 3, right? So if we go through 10 and then now 11, that there's all these Old Testament quotes. Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 12, but the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Now 13, look at what God has done for us, this glorious, cosmic, great exchange that he becomes something for us that we instead earned. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And what good news there is after we get past realizing that if we rely on a mosaic or moral law, we're under a curse. If we're over-relying on that to find our righteousness or our goodness, we're under a curse. And instead, let us continue to believe by faith that Jesus became a curse for us when he was hanged on a tree. He redeemed us, it says in verse 13. He purchased us back from the dead. He purchased us. He purchased us from the, call, the, the, the curse of false assurance that comes from relying on the law. He made full payment for us, and how did he do that? He became a curse for us by being hanged on a tree. There's an Old Testament Jewish law, uh, uh, like a uh, collection of law called the Talmud. It's the Jewish law. It provided four ways of executing criminals. Stoning, we know that one. Beheading, that was interesting to me to learn that one. Burning and strangulation, never by hanging. So there's a quote here from Deuteronomy 21, and he says that like, there's a criminal, and if you kill him and hang him, and so the understanding there is that they would kill them by strangulation or beheading or burning or stoning, and then they would hang them on a cross. No, they would hang them on a tree, we interpret that as the cross because we see what Jesus did. But over and over and over again, the New Testament talks about how Jesus was hanged on a tree. They use the word tree in Acts 5, in Acts 10, in 1 Peter 2. All throughout the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being hanged on a tree, including in Galatians 3. Why? Why that word? Because the Old Testament law talks about this curse. And this is what they 
uh, the, the Talmud helps us understand that hanging someone on a tree was a public shaming. It wasn't the way that they would kill the person. Instead, it was the way that they would shame the person for doing what they did. And all of his family, and all of his descendants, and all of his forefathers, that this Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph, shamed be him or anyone else that would be hanged on a tree. And this idea would also not just be a public shaming that this person is to be excommunicated and like erased from our history, that would be shamed, but also a symbol that God has rejected them. Are you seeing this symbolism? Are you seeing the importance of what the Old Testament is illuminating for us, that why he quotes this scripture from Deuteronomy that cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, that Jesus himself took our curse, became our curse for us, because when he was hung on that tree, he was shamed for us. He was sent out, out of the camp, Hebrews 10 would say. And in so doing, he then gave us his blessing, the blessing that he earned by actually doing the great commands of obeying the Lord, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's the only person that did it. And so he truly was blessed. And the second was like it, that he would love his neighbor like himself. He's the only one that did it perfectly, the only one that did it right, the only one that earned the blessing of the Father. And we, on the other hand, earned curse. We, on the other hand, earned wrath. My goodness. And so there's this beautiful exchange that happens on the cross that Jesus takes this curse while he hangs on the tree in darkness. See, that's the crazy part about like Good Friday and we'll look forward to that. That's the crazy part about uh, what Jesus went through. He was beaten, he was abused, he was abandoned by his best friends. His beard was plucked out. Now that I have a beard, like I understand the reality of that pain. His beard was plucked out. The crown of thorns was placed on his head. He was flogged. He was crucified. He was humiliated to the point that Isaiah says that you could not recognize him as a human. It was far worse than the passion of the Christ. Far worse. And that doesn't even touch what happened spiritually to Jesus. See, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because the wrath of all mankind's sins, all the sins that you've committed, and you guys are good people. All the sins that you guys have committed and I have committed were placed on Jesus and for the whole world, for all those who would believe, were placed upon Jesus in that moment, poured out on him. This cup of God's wrath was emptied out on Jesus to the very last drop so that it does not remain on you. John 3 said that he didn't come to condemn us. Instead, we were already condemned. We were already deserving uh, by nature, children of wrath, Ephesians 2 would say. Why, we earned it. He didn't give it to us unjustly. We had earned it. And so when Jesus hangs on a cross, he not only publicly takes our shame. So friends, there is no shame. There is no condemnation for you if you're found in Christ. No, he's taken that, 
He's done away with it. And what did he do for us? He gave us the perfection that he earned. He gave us his righteousness. The blessing that we so wanted yesterday uh, as I was getting pulled over, that blessing that you kind of feel like, oh, I'm in trouble, removed. And instead given to us in full this blessing of acceptance, this blessing of approval, this blessing of constantly with us no matter what. See, he turned his back on his son and he will not turn his back on us. So no matter how bad life turns out or how good life turns out, no matter when our jobs don't turn out the right way, no matter when we don't get that promotion, no matter when that email was really offensive, no matter when our, our marriages aren't where they want them to, we want them to be, when our kids turn out to reject Jesus, when cancer beats us, there is no curse on us if we are found in Christ. It has been taken willfully by our God. It does not depend on whether or not we've been obedient to the law or the, the, whether it be the, the Mosaic law or the moral law or if we've checked off the full to-do list. We've only got like 10 of those things done instead of 15 and how dare we. Instead, it depends on the finished work of Jesus. And so today, Maybe reminded of 2 Corinthians 5 where it says, for our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus got the curse that we deserved and we got the blessing which belonged to him. So how do you know that you're blessed? Is it because you've obeyed the law? Because you got a good paycheck? Because your life is turning out right? because you're wealthy, how do you know you're blessed? Is that what you're going to base your standing with God? Or is it by faith in the risen son who speaks over us, peace be with you? That's why we pass the peace every day, every Sunday that we're in here. We receive the peace of God through the, through the singing of the gospel to one another and to God, and then we, we remind one another and peace be with you, like God is satisfied with you. He's happy with you. He delights in you as you delight in his son. He loves you fully. Peace, peace be with you. When we find ourselves falling into the false assurance of relying on ourselves or some external means of feeling good about our lives, let us remember Jesus who came to bring us peace not just with others, but with his father. And so I end today with one big charge and a couple of questions, and it, really it's by this. In verse 11, he quotes from Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophet, when he says that now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Friends, let us rejoice in this. But instead, the righteous shall live by faith. Those who are declared righteous by God must live by trusting in God's word that we are righteous apart from our works and hidden in the works and the person of Jesus. And so I say, may that be so for us. May be reminded again and again as we come to communion after we get done, after I get done talking, when we come to communion, may we be reminded that this is by faith that we are made new. That this new covenant of the blood and the body is this by faith, there's newness in Christ. Whatever oldness we've been holding on to, including the written code, may it be washed away. May we rely on the finished work of Jesus. So I ask these few questions as we end. Where are you? Are you relying upon the Bible's law? Are you relying on the Bible? A really good thing, I want you to rely on the Bible. 
More importantly, I want you to rely on what the Bible says to rely on, and that is the finished work of Jesus to find our righteousness. Are you relying on the Bible's law to create a righteousness in you that you do love the orphan and you feel good about it? You do love the orphan, and here's how you know you're finding your righteousness based on one particular thing. You start to condemn your neighbor that doesn't do the same thing that you do. I do come to church. I am a part of the gathering. I do X, Y, or Z. And for those that don't, oh, how dare they? See, that's how we know we're, we're in trouble. Doing really good things and then demanding the same thing be done by everyone else. And so if you can take some inventory this week, perhaps by continuing to ask the question, oh, Holy Spirit, where am I relying on something really good to feel good about you and me? Maybe that's where the inventory comes from. For for us, I pray that we would not find our righteousness, our joy, our satisfaction in the things that we do. Because here's what happens. You either have been killing it lately and you feel really good about yourself or you've not been killing it lately and you feel really terrible about yourself. And both of those are equally dangerous. One feels better than the other, but both of those are equally dangerous. Both are equal signposts to the fact that you and I are under a curse or instead, will we, like Abraham, a man, be a man or a woman or faith? Will we, will we trust not in our own good works, but will we trust in the promise that God has made us righteous, not because of our performance, but because of what Jesus has done for you? So where are you? It's a good question to ask as we end this portion and as we respond in faith by singing, by getting our kids, by coming to communion. Like, where are we truly? So let's ask that question as we end and as we prepare for these things. Father, we love you. We're grateful that you have set us free from the curse, set us free from trying to earn enough good points with our God and our King. We're so grateful, Holy Spirit, that you would testify to our spirits that we are yours. And as we'll get into next week, The promise will continue to be spoken over us that we are yours not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done for us. Lord, as we end today, I just have one confession. My confession is that the gospel's not good enough for us. And that's my, my confession, but it's also my concern. The gospel's not good enough for us. The good news of Jesus somehow gets boring, tired, worn out in our souls and we start to look for other things. I pray, Lord, that we would be faithful like a good faithful husband or a good faithful wife over the long haul of marriage. Would we be faithful to our husband as the bride of Christ? Would we be faithful to you as you continue to be faithful to us? We know that you will never reject us based on our performance you will never reject us based on how good we are or how bad we were this week or how bad we're gonna be this week. It's never a time where we're just gonna be pulled over, so to speak, in life and go, nope, that's enough for you, you're out. Instead, it is by grace through faith. And so I pray, Lord, that with all the worries and anxieties and cares of this world that try to strangle out the joy that we have in your son Jesus, I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded again and again and again. We are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And so as you respond now, as we go get our kids, we will be reminded that we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness with, because of the mercy that we've been given in your son Jesus. Help us remember that. 
Help us be motivated in that as we respond in Christ's name. Amen.